Hello, and welcome to The Journey's podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out The Journey live at one of our two Metro New York locations, including Queens and Manhattan. Visit journeyqueens.com for service times and directions. Now let's join Pastor of The Journey Queens, Mike Cooper, as he teaches live. Well, good morning and welcome to The Journey. So glad that you guys are here with us today. My name is Mike. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. And let me just say Happy New Year. Uh, Who would have thought that we were in 2020? Remember back then when they dreamed up what 2020 would look like? And they said back then we would have like flying cars and stuff. Uh, We're not quite there yet, but we're still living in the future 2020. And so uh, I'm glad that you guys are here with us today as we kick off a new year, uh, a new decade here at uh, The Journey. And so this morning we're kicking off a brand new teaching series called Treat Yourself. Treat Yourself. That's my slang as best as I can. In fact, why don't you try it? Turn to your neighbor, tell him, hey, good morning, what's up, how you doing? And tell him, hey, treat yourself. All right, go ahead. You got permission, tell them to treat yourself, all right? There we go, treat yourself. And this series, what it is, is is basically talking about a new you for a new year. And maybe you're here today and you're like, man, Pastor Mike's trying to get all weird on me. What is treat yourself and where does it come from? Well, way back in 2009, not that long ago, there was this TV show called Parks and Rec. How many know what I'm talking about, Parks and Rec in the house? Parks and Rec is where we get the term treat yourself from. So go ahead and just take a look at this. For you, treat yourself. Treat yourself 2011. Once a year, Donna and I spend a day treating ourselves. What do we treat ourselves to? Clothes. Treat yourself. Fragrances. Treat yourself. Massages. Treat yourself. Mimosas. Treat yourself. Fine leather goods. Treat yourself. It's the best day of the year. The best day of the year. All right, so that is where it comes from. It's this concept of every now and then, you've got to take care of yourself. Every now and then, we got to hit pause on life and just kind of look back and say, how am I doing really? And we go to church all the time, right? And we walk in and somebody says, how you doing? You say, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm blessed by the best, right? And, uh, you know, we got all these terminologies. But for these five weeks, we're doing a series called Treat Yourself. And we're going to talk about how are you doing really? How can you set yourself up, not just for the rest of the year, but for the rest of the decade to pursue health in many areas of our lives? So we're going to talk about some of the most important areas of self-care over the next five weeks. But before we begin today, I want to begin with just a little fun interactive game that we're going to call, What Are the Odds? All right, what are the odds? And so uh, here's what we're going to do. We're basically going to put up an image uh, of two different pictures, and you're going to have to tell me which one thing is more likely to happen. All right, what are the odds? Right, let's look at the first one here. Which one is more likely to happen? Are you more likely first to win the Powerball, or are you more likely to die on the way receiving your earnings from winning the Powerball? Which one thing are you more likely to do? Are you more likely to win the Powerball, 
or die on your way to collect the earnings from the Powerball? How many think you're more likely to win the Powerball? How many Powerball fans in the house, I guess, right? How many think I'm more likely to die on my way to collect the earnings from the Powerball? The truth is, you're more likely to die from collecting your earnings than actually winning the Powerball. Just so you know, the odds are one out of 292 million people win the Powerball. So, and we wait in line and we pick our favorite numbers and you got about one in 292 million chance. All right, let, let's look at another one here. Are you more likely to be audited by the IRS or are you more likely to catch a foul ball in a baseball game? Which one are you more likely to do? Audited by the IRS or catch a foul ball at a baseball game? How many think audited by the IRS? I hope not, but audited by the IRS. How many think catching a foul ball at a baseball game? Let me see hands in the house. All right, here's the answer. The answer is you're more likely to be audited by the IRS. In fact, one out of every 119 people are audited by the IRS as opposed to one out of every 563 catch a foul ball at a baseball game. Just in case you go on Jeopardy, these questions might help one day. All right, let's look at a couple more. Let's look at the next one here. Are you more likely to be attacked by a shark or are you more likely to become the president of the United States? Which one are you more likely to do? What are the odds? More likely to be attacked by a shark or become president of the United States. How many think shark attack? Shark attack is probably what's going to have Jaws scared us back in the 70s and the 80s. How many think you're more likely to become the president of the United States? How many? You are correct. Believe it or not, the odds are that one out of every 11.5 million get attacked by a shark as opposed to one out of 10 million. Who would have thought, right? Let's look at one last one, okay? What are the odds? Here we go. Are you more likely to set a New Year's goal or resolution and achieve it, or are you more likely to get accepted in the most prestigious dancing school in Juilliard? Which one are you more likely to do? Set a goal and achieve it, or get accepted into the toughest dance school in America? How many think setting goals? I'm more likely to achieve setting goals. How many think I'm more likely to, to apply and get accepted into Juilliard? The answer is, it's a tie. Believe it or not, if you were to apply and get accepted into Juilliard, it's about an 8% acceptance rate. Also, the same percentage of those of us who set our goals and achieve it. Think about that for a moment, right? According to studies, 92% of us count down the new year, ready to be a new me for the new year, set a new goal. This is going to be my decade. 92% of us do not achieve the goal Roughly 8% of us actually do it. So what that means is in a room this size, about eight of you or about 10 of you are going to set the goal and achieve it. The rest of us, we're going to finish the year like, oh, let's start again. Now, we think about that, right? As we kick off a new year, some questions we ask ourselves is, well, why do we set ourselves up then, right? If so many fail, why set a goal and why hope to achieve it if so many of us don't achieve it? And then a question that we often ask is, how can we ensure that this year is going to be different than all the other years? That this year is going to be better? That this year I'm going to start my decade out in the right foot? How do we, how do we positively know that we could start the new year off in the right foot? Well, I think there's a few things. Uh, for starters, uh, it's important that we write our goals down. 
You know, sources say that those of us who write our goals down versus those of us who just wish a goal or just tell ourselves we're going to set this goal, we are more likely to achieve the goal by writing it down than by not. But also, with all of us here, there's something about us that resonates with the new year. This idea of a fresh start, a, a new beginning, a, a new and improved me for this new year. All of us, we resonate with that. But thirdly, as Christ followers, we have God's help and we have his guidance to help us achieve and see our goals through. And so my hope and my prayer for this new year is that we're going to let God's word speak to us today. We're going to let God's word define our year and speak to us as we start a new year. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is go ahead and grab your message notes in your programs. And we're going to start together by looking at a passage in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19 in your notes. Just to give you some context, uh, during the time of Isaiah, Israel was at its darkest period in history. They were in captivity, or, or they were about to go into captivity. They were rejecting God. God allows them to be overrun and be invaded. And so now they're looking at this dark period, looking for a fresh start. God, where are you? God, help. God, are you going to come do something about it? And God raises up this prophet named Isaiah to be a spokesperson to, to tell Israel about this idea of a fresh start. And look at where it picks up here in your notes. Verse 18, he says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Then he says, see, I am doing a what? A, a new thing. Everybody say new thing. God is doing a new thing. He says, now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Now with your pen, I want you to underline that phrase. See, I am doing a new thing. I believe that God wants to do a new thing for your life for 2020. I believe that God wants to do a new thing for our church for this new decade. I believe that God wants to do a new thing for our city and for our country. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I love this. I, I'm ready for that new thing. Pastor, what is my new thing? The answer is I don't know. I can't really tell you what your new thing is. But what I can promise you is what you do today will greatly impact and affect how your decade goes. What you do right now in this moment will greatly impact how your year goes. God wants to do a new thing for your future, but often that new thing starts with today and the decisions that I make right now. In other words, what you do right now has the potential to make later so much greater, or it has the potential to make later so much worse. The choice we have is right now, and in this moment. And that's what this series is all about. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about important areas of our life that we should be pursuing health in. So next week, we're going to be talking about relational health. That so many of us, we're so connected on social media, but so disconnected when it comes to people around us. And so we're going to talk about godly friendships and how do we build them into our everyday life. Uh, two weeks from now, we're going to talk about the number one goal or resolution that everyone has at New Year's about physical health. And so we're going to talk about how do we pursue uh, physical health in our life. Uh, then we're going to talk about financial health. And then we're going to wrap up the series by talking about emotional and mental health, which is affecting so many in our country uh, right now in this time frame. So today, though, what we're going to talk about is spiritual health. Now, why spiritual health? Why kick off the new year talking about spiritual health? I believe that spiritual health impacts all the other areas of our life. 
In fact, Jesus talks about this in your notes. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says these words. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So even Jesus says that spiritual health greatly matters. It impacts all the other areas of your life. Now, maybe you're here today and you're like, well, pastor, I'm not really a spiritual person. You know, honestly, I came today because I wanted to get that neighbor off my back for inviting me to church, so I'm here, or somebody promised me brunch, so I'm, I'm here just to kind of clock in and clock up. But I, pastor, I, I don't really consider myself a spiritual person. The truth is, every single one of us is spiritual. Whether or not we're a Christ follower or not, every one of us deeply is a spiritual being. In fact, in Scripture, it says that God is spirit. Then it also says that God created man in his likeness. So if God is spirit and he created human beings in his likeness, each one of us is deeply a spiritual being. In fact, St. Augustine said this well. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is how can we grow deeper in our faith spiritually? How can we ensure that 2020 is different than all the other years? And how can we be closer to Christ this year than any other year? Now, as we talk about this type of message, it's easy for us to want to have a one-size-fits-all model. You know, Pastor Mike, just give me a prescription, you know, take this pill, drink this water, and then everything's going to be good. But to be honest, there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all model for how do we grow spiritually, per se. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a couple of questions to ask yourself, and my hope and my prayer is that as you answer these questions, it will give you a blueprint for how you can grow personally and spiritually for 2020. All right, so let's open up our notes to the inside, and let me give you the first question. Question number one is, what one thing do I desire from God? What one thing do I desire from God? Now, 10 years ago, uh, I was a minister in, in living in New Jersey as a youth pastor, and uh, my next step in ministry was to apply to be ordained. Now, now, some of us today, we have skewed views of what it means to be ordained as a pastor because, you know, now you can go on Google and become ordained. That's, that's not what really what ordination is like. But back then, ordination was like a really big deal. And uh, this was more than just the pastor being able to marry people or bury people. What it was was it was a particular denomination would affirm your ministry and say that we believe this person is called to do ministry for life. And so this was a big deal. We went through the application process. Uh, I even had to take a test on my theology. I'm not a good test taker, but I had to be in a room, take a test on what did I believe and why. Then after that, we had to interview my wife and I before a whole board of pastors. I mean, one hot light, interviewing, asking any question. And it, it, was, it was very intimidating. But at the end of it, I was able to receive my ordination. And so everyone around was excited. My parents were pumped. They drove from Syracuse, New York to come be a part. Uh, our church was excited. And in fact, the church that we worked at before, uh, they had a senior citizens ministry called the Gems. It stood for something. I don't remember, but it's pretty cool. And I was their bus driver back then. Like, they would do all the fun stuff. They'd go to Olive Garden. They would go to, uh, you know, Old Country Buffet, right? They would go to a bingo hall, and I was their bus driver. So I got to hang out with them all the time. And when I got ordained and at this celebration, the ceremony, all the gems packed in their bus, and they drove down to watch Pastor Mike get ordained. And, and it was a cool time, but I remember uh, meeting with a mentor friend of mine the, right the morning before. And he shared with me, he said, hey, 
at this ceremony, there are going to be pastors, they're going to lay their hands on you, they're going to pray for you, and I'm going to challenge you during that prayer time, what one thing do you desire from God? They asked me the same question I'm asking you today. During the prayer time, he challenged me, ask God for something big. And I'll be honest, I never thought of it before. You know, I, I never really thought that I could ask the God of the universe, the God who spoke life into existence, for his hand and his provision over my life. That, that I could set a goal for the new year, or I could dream a dream and ask for God's help to achieve it. So let me ask you, what one thing do you desire from God? In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says it like this. It says, faith is being sure of what we hope for. It is being sure of what we do not see. So if you look at this verse, if, if faith is being sure of what we hope for, the question is, what exactly are you hoping for? You know, so many times we look at God as being so big and so busy that we forget that God cares greatly about every, every aspect of our life. That God says, no problem is too big for me, no problem is too small for me to handle. What is that one thing that you're hoping for? Maybe for some of you, it's to break that addiction or that stronghold. That that one thing that is keeping you from moving forward in your walk with God. And so you've said, you know what, this is not only my New Year's resolution, but it's my spiritual goal as well. I'm going to tackle this issue. I'm going to fight this stronghold for once and all, and I'm going to pursue God with everything I've got. Maybe for some of you, that one thing is your marriage. And you keep telling yourself, man, my marriage is not where it's supposed to be. And for years, you've been praying, God, fix my spouse. God, fix my spouse. God, would your Holy Spirit supernaturally fix my spouse? And, and lately, God has been revealing to you, no, it's you're the one that needs to fix her. And so maybe your one thing is, God, help me be what you've called me to be. Help me be what I need to be so that my marriage can be healed. And maybe for some of you, your one thing is you've been busy for a while. And you've been saying, this is the year I'm going to slow down. And it sounds great, but last year you said the same thing. This is the year I'm going to slow down. And instead of slowing down, you added more to your plate. And then the year before you said the same exact thing. I'm going to slow down one day. I'm going to slow down tomorrow. I'm going to slow down next month. And if anything, you haven't slowed down. You just sped up and added more to your plate. And maybe for you, this one thing is to just finally eliminate stuff from your calendar to pursue God and follow him. What is that one thing that you're hoping for? If faith is being sure of what you hope for, what is that one thing that you desire from God? I mean, after all, Jesus did say, you have not because you ask not. And I wonder how many of us fail to grow deeper in our walk with God all because we simply forget to ask. So what one thing do you desire from God this year? Question number two in your notes is what one thing do I lack? What one thing do I lack? When it comes to your spiritual life, your relationship with God, what is that one thing that you feel like is missing? Right now, you might look at your life and you're like, I like this question because, Pastor Mike, what I'm lacking is a ring before spring. I need my boyfriend to propose to me, or I need a new apartment with more space, or I need a new job with more benefits. Again, the focus for today is spiritual growth, not your love life. We'll get to that another time. But you've got to ask yourself, what is that one thing that I'm lacking? In Mark chapter 10, there's this interesting story about a, a guy who approaches Jesus. And what's interesting is, you know, when we look at the Bible in, New, in the New Testament, a lot of people, we know them by name, like Peter, James, John, Paul. A lot of them, they're listed by name. But in Mark chapter 10, the guy who approaches Jesus, all we know of him is he's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. 
And by definition, he had everything that you would want in life. And so when he approaches Jesus, he basically asks Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus answers by listing all the commandments. Do not murder, do not cheat, do not steal, right? And all these different things. And so immediately as Jesus is listing them off, the rich young ruler's like, okay, haven't done that, check, that's good. Okay, good, haven't done that. Uh, haven't taken the Lord's name in vain, never, check, I'm good. And you know, so immediately he says, man, I, I'm, I'm good. And then he asks Jesus one more question. He says, but Jesus, what do I lack? And I think that's, that's crazy to think about. A guy who had everything, followed all the rules that Jesus prescribed to him, and still he noticed something was missing. And what makes it even more powerful is what Jesus' response is. In your notes, Mark chapter 10, verse 21 through 22, it says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Sort of that word love. You see, any time that Jesus points out in our life, it's never to condemn us or to shame us, but it's always out of love for us and for our growth. He says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Next verse, it says, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. What's powerful is God showed this guy exactly what was missing and the guy still walked away. Could it be for some of us here in this room? We've been looking at our life and we're like, God, something's missing. God, I'm, I'm lacking something. I, there's something that's keeping me from drawing closer to you. And could it be that God has shown it to you, but you just haven't yet been obedient and dealt with it? You know, for some of you, maybe that one thing you're lacking is just this consistent time with God through reading his word and in prayer. And your one thing maybe is that, you know, you're going to download a Bible reading plan keep yourself accountable and, and say, before I start my day by hitting the snooze 80 times and then being late to work, or before I start my day just opening up my phone and checking my email, I'm going to start with God first for 15 minutes, read his word, soak it in, and let it shape and frame my day. Maybe that's that one thing that you're lacking. Uh, maybe for you, you've been a part of this church for a while, and you, it's been easy for you to slip in and then slip right out, but you know the one thing that you're lacking is godly community. And a lot of times you say, well, I'm busy. I don't know if I have the time. Uh, you know, people are weird. I don't know if I want to open myself up to them. But God is telling you, now is the time. Join a growth group. Read his word. Grow in faith this year. Uh, maybe for you, the one thing that you're lacking is you've been wrestling with this idea of tithing. And to be honest, personally, you're terrified because you know all the numbers in your budget. And you think, man, if I give God 10%, how am I going to live off the 90%? And God's basically been telling you, do you trust me? Or do you not? And so your one thing is you're going to take that step, be obedient, and begin tithing. When it comes to your relationship with God, what is that one thing that is missing, that one area where you're lacking? Where do you need to trust God, be obedient, and leave the outcome with Him? So we're looking at these four questions here. What do I desire of God? What one thing do I lack? And question number three in your notes is what one thing do I need to let go? What one thing do I need to let go? Now, growing up, I, I was a big movie fan as a kid. And uh, one of my favorite movies as a kid was Indiana Jones. How many remember Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones fans in the house. A lot of people say, I look like him. I'm humbled. Thank you for that. Not really, right? But uh, this was back in the 80s, right? 1980s. Who would have thought 80s is 40 years ago? 
I feel old. All right, let's pray. No, I'm just but uh, so growing up, I loved the Indiana Jones movies. And, and one of my favorite movies in particular was the, the Last Crusade, right? When Indiana finally comes across the Holy Grail, the, the thing he's been pursuing for three movies now, right? He finally gets a hold of it, but an earthquake happens and he's forced to decide, do I pursue the treasure or do I save my life? What does Indiana choose? You guys know, but just for nostalgic sake, Let's take a look at this. We have got it. Come on. Elsa. Elsa, don't move. It's ours, Indy. Yours and mine. Elsa, don't cross the seal. The night warned us not to take the ground from here. I love that scene because it, it really points to such an important principle in life, that sometimes the things that we think we want most or the things that we think we need really are at risk of our own personal well-being and health. And so for many of us, we've got to choose sometimes. Do I hold on or am I willing to let go and just simply trust God? Letting go, it might be difficult in the moment, but it's best for our good, even our spiritual lives as well. And uh, if there was one person who understood this power and the principle of letting go, it was the Apostle Paul. In the New Testament, he wrote a, a short letter to the church in Philippi. And uh, in chapter 3, he writes and he gets real personal in this moment where he, he talks about how Paul, he wants to know God, not know about God, but to know him personally, including sharing in the sufferings that God went through or Jesus went through. And here's what he writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 in your notes. He says, Brothers, I do not yet consider myself to have taken a hold of it. But one thing I do, here's what he does. He says, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, I think there's power in what Paul is saying here. I mean, you think about all that Paul had gone through. For starters, before he became a Christ follower, he persecuted Christians. 
He pursued them. He killed them. He tried to snuff them out. Then one day on his way to persecute another Christian, he ends up meeting Christ, giving his life to God, and then he becomes a preacher as well. And so instead of him persecuting others, he becomes persecuted. He talks about some of the circumstances that he faced. He, he was in a basket, lowered outside a window in the middle of the night, so that way people wouldn't arrest him or seize him at that moment. He talks about moments where he was jailed, and he was, uh, he was there without a trial. Uh, he put moments where he was beaten, moments where he was stoned. Now, stoned then is different than what we would say stoned is today. Stoned, all right, just so we're clear, all right? Paul was stoned in that way, all right? But Paul went through serious adversity. He was shipwrecked three different times, bitten by a snake while in a remote island. And all the hardships, Paul says, I need to let it go and press on toward what is ahead. And for some of you, that's the biggest lesson you need to learn this year is you've got deep hurts, deep pains, deep things in your life, and now is the time that you've got to let it go and press on to what God has ahead for you. Some of you here, you're dealing with bitterness and unforgiveness. And while you may be justified in that pain, God says, I can't do a new thing in you while you're holding on to the past. And so maybe that one decision you've got to make is to let go of the forgiveness, uh, let go of the bitterness and the unforgiveness and to choose to forgive. Uh, maybe others of you, you failed at something. You tried something, you pursued something, and it failed miserably. And so now every time that you think of yourself, the words that you tell yourself is, I'm a failure, I'm always going to mess it up, I'm going to mess up anything I touch. But what you forget is that failure is an event, it's never a person. And so you've got to not personalize the failure, but you've got to let go and still trust that God is holding your today and your tomorrow. It's a new day, it's a new thing. What do you need to let go of in order to follow all that God has called you to be? So these four questions, what do I lack? What do I desire of God? What do I need to let go of? And the number four in your notes is what one thing do I need to claim? What one thing do I need to claim? Now here, we're trying not to get hyper-spiritual here. We're not saying now you're going to name it and claim it and tame it and whatever else rhymes with aim, right? You know, we're not going to talk about that. But what I'm talking about simply is just what verse, what promise of God do you want to anchor for this new year? What verse do you want to define your year, 2020, the new decade for? This anchor, it's going to be for the highs and it's going to be for the lows in life and all that you'll face. Because what I do know is even though we're looking ahead to a new year, and even though we want it to be the best year possible, I can guarantee for all of us, there are going to be some high points in this new year. There's going to be some low points in this new year. So what promise of God are you going to cling to for this year? In the Old Testament, we hear about a man named David. David back then, he was just simply a shepherd boy. When the prophet Samuel came, to his family to anoint David as king. And even though it makes like a cute kid story to read to our kids at bedtime, what we realize is that David was somewhere between 11 and 14 years old when he was anointed to be king over the nation of Israel. Talk about pressure for an 11 to 14-year-old, right? But the problem was, at that time, David wasn't king, Saul was king. So David kept hearing his whole life, one day you're going to be the king. One day God's going to fulfill that promise. But Every time David stepped forward, there was always five more steps backward. 
In fact, one point we read about David, who's going to be the king one day, actually is invited to the king's palace to perform a song for Saul, who was the king at that time frame. Imagine what that must be like to be in the king's palace. Know that, man, I'm supposed to get this. I thought God said this was going to be for me. And as he's playing the song for Saul, Saul throws a spear at this guy. And so there must have been points when David was like, I don't know about this. You know, maybe Samuel, he was, Samuel was up there in age. Maybe Samuel was a little senile. Maybe he had bad pizza or something and didn't really know what he was doing. God, I, I just, I don't see it. I don't know if this is going to happen. David easily could have done that. But instead, he claimed and he held on to God's promise. And we read about this in Psalm chapter 56. He writes this during one of his darkest, most difficult trials he goes through. In your notes, he says, this one thing I know. He says, God is for me. God is for me. This one thing that I know, God is for me. I am trusting God, oh, praise his promises. I'm not afraid of anything that mere man can do to me. Yes, praise his promises. You know, in God's word, there are over 7,000 promises ready and available for you to claim during life's most difficult and darkest moments. That's why we say it's so important to know God's word, to read God's word on a daily basis, to get God's word and his promises in our life. Now, what does God promise? Well, according to his word, God promises to meet every need that you have from his glorious riches. God promises that when you're tempted, you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. God promises to make everything, the good, the bad. He promises to make everything work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God promises that if you feel alone or abandoned, God will never leave you nor forsake you. God promises to be your help during your time of trouble. He promises to guide and give you direction for the moments that you need help. He promises to give you a peace that will transcend all understanding during deep times of sorrow and pain. God promises that nothing can separate you from his love. And he promises that you and I are more than conquerors through him in Christ Jesus. But the greatest promise of all that God provides to you and I is to forgive all of our sins and to provide eternal life for those of us who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus says it like this in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He said, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Then I love this statement here. He says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So as we look at a new year, what one desire do you have from God above all else? What one thing do you lack? What is that one area that you haven't yet been obedient and stepped out in faith to follow? What one thing do you need to let go of? Forget the past, as Paul said, Press on toward what's ahead. And what promise do you need to claim? God's word says that we can forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. Why? Because God is doing a new thing, not just for our city, for our church, but for you as well. God who is with you now, who will never leave you nor forsake you, God wants to do a new thing in your life for 2020. Amen? Let's take a moment. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and this time where we can be reminded, according to your word, that you're doing a new thing. And so, God, I pray that for all of us here, that as we approach this new year with hope and anticipation of what you're going to do in and through our lives, 
God, help us to look internally and ask ourselves some deep questions. Help us to believe you to do great things in and through our lives. God, your word says that faith is being sure of what we hope for. And so, God, help us to to have hope, have faith in you, whether it's believing for the first time or, or just simply stepping out in faith to achieve the goals that you've set before us. God, help us hold on to these promises, to let go of the past, let go of the hurt and the pain, and God, to move forward to what you have for us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.